As usual, it's interesting what Beth had to say, because um, part of what I'm going to say tonight is talking about things that I've inherited, <laughs> not in the sense of uh, a round face or whatever, but some of the things that I've inherited from my, my family. Um, and also, I didn't know, I was, I was out last week because um, I was in the kitchen, but I didn't realise that Anthony touched on the um, 1 Corinthians 13 about love. And it was only this morning when I was telling him what was on my heart to bring. He says, well, I sort of touched on that last week. And I went, oh, dear. Like, you know. So if you get bored, do something, but I don't think you will. Um, I have had a really difficult three weeks, incredibly difficult, and um, I've had stuff rise up in me that I thought was long time ago dealt with. And I even sent a text to Anth while he was away, and I said, oh, I said, I'm realising just more and more that I'm, I'm very damaged. I'm a damaged person. And none of us like to admit that we're damaged, but I, I, I am. And um, when Beth was talking about things that we'd inherited uh, of our parents, I mean, one of the, the things that's very sad for me, because, I mean, some of you don't know me at all, some do, but I'll, you know, hope this is okay. Um, there was, my, my mother and father were leaders of this church a very long time ago, and uh, I was born into a, a family that basically, the, the ministry was their life. Now, that's not a lot different from other people's lives. Some people, their lives are the fact that they're salesmen or the car mechanics or they're into uh, whatever. Um, and, and it rules their life. Now, for me, it was the, the ministry was what um, was very much the centre. It was the church. It was what we did at church. And, I mean, it was uh, every night of the week. You know, it was always something going on. And it meant that uh, we as children very much took a back seat because everything had to be done for the sake of this. And if you imagine, when, you, when you're little, um, I remember our Connie saying to Frank Houston at that meeting in Doncaster, he, he clicked his fingers when he was preaching because she was making a, a noise. And she turned to her daddy and said, doesn't he know that we're just kids? Yeah? But you see, we were made to be silent. You couldn't move, you couldn't breathe. You could have a piece of paper, one pencil, and that had to last the entire meeting. You could not come out of the pew, you know, and it was very, very restrictive, very, very, very strict. And while there were some wonderful things about church life, there was also a lot of restriction, a lot of control, which if there isn't something to balance that, you can really get messed up. And remember, we only ever pass on to our kids what was passed on to us. So, if, you know, Joel is born and I passed on the same regime to him. Bless his little heart. And you, re you realise there's things that have, have, have damaged us. And um, this last week, some of this stuff has been coming to the surface. Because one of the things that I recognise about me is that Although I was brought up in this environment that was taught about the love of God, there was also this other side of it that wasn't very loving at all. 
And that's an awful thing, that you're told that God is love, but everything that, that is happening seems to be a, a loveless experience. D- does that make sense? It's loveless. And so I recognize that uh, after a while, the only thing that I thought was important in life was church, church procedure, church ritual, doing what was perceived to be right. And Anne said something, uh, again, he was talking about the love languages last week. Um, I mean, most of you know that there's basically five and it's uh, acts. Um, I've forgotten them now. <laughs> Works, uh, gifts, um, physical touch, um, words and affirmation and quality time, right? Would you believe not one of them is mine? And I'm not trying to be funny, it just was none of them are mine. Because I recognised that the, the only love language I understood was sacrifice. So basically, if somebody goes to the, to the limit that they can almost to kill themselves, that was love. And why would that be the, the, the way of love for me? It was because it was a parable, parallel to Christ. That he showed his love because basically he gave his life. And because he basically bled and died, that was love. And anything else was just a very shallow imitation. So do you see how you, oh. And so you grow up with very little love for people, for family. And over the last 12 years, we've been fixing that, haven't we, gang? Wouldn't you say? Oh, you're very, very supportive. Thanks very much. Well, I believe we have, because uh, there are things now that I recognize that hurt me more than ever did before, and I'm thinking, well, why are these things hurting me now? And I recognize because I actually love. See, I went through life very much, everything sort of went over my head. Why? Because there was not a lot of love. There was a lot of action, but not a lot of love. And I find now I get myself really quite hurt over stuff. And it's because, and I'll tell you what else happens, happened to me. I became more afraid. And you think, oh, hang on, that sounds like a contradiction in terms. Because the more I felt I loved, the more I was afraid of losing someone. So then you start panicking about, you, you know, as you're walking down the street with a, with a little child and you're afraid they're going to run in the road. No, if you don't care, you let them run and almost think, good if they get run over, you know what I mean? I know that sounded awful, but it's almost like this, this lack of care, this lack of, it, who's, who's bothered, you know what I mean? The more you love, things become more scary, things become more difficult. Oh, and I love that about God, because when he took us on, life got awfully difficult for him, because of the proportion of his love, do you get it? Now, I'm going to cut to what I want to say is because the, the, the issue of 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about love being certain things. And if you want to put it up in, I think it's in the NIV, but it doesn't matter which you put, NIV. Oh, I've got New King James. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> Whatever I've got here, can I read this please? Just I'll get very confused. The point for me is this, is that while it's saying love is these things. It really is saying this is what God is like. That's what this is saying. 
This is what God is like. Now, if I was to say to you, as we read through some of these things, that is that your understanding of God? I guarantee all of you will say yes. But it's not true. Because then the way that we deal with each other is a reflection of what we really believe how God is with us. So let's just take the first one. Yeah, can you put it in the NIV, please? Thank you. Love is patient. So if we just take that one, love is patient. What do we make of that? Because you see, I could say, no, I have been, it's been proven to me that impatient is more a sign of love. Because if I'm on your back 24-7, correcting you every time you go wrong, that must prove that I love you because I don't want you to keep making the same mistake over and over again. Does that make sense? So love becomes not being patient. It becomes impatience that proves our attention. This making, making sense? It's kind. Anth already mentioned being kind, and so I won't, I won't touch that one. Um, look at it. It does not envy. Right. Envy is to do with jealousy. The thing that I find interesting about when we look at God as being this great, almighty, powerful thing, and even the scriptures in the Old Testament that talks about God being a jealous God, and he talks about he'll give his, no, he won't share his glory with anybody. Actually, that's not what love is like at all. Do you know, God is not jealous if I love my son, or if I love my husband, or if I love my children. Because God, who is love, loves it when we love. But we can be taught that, hang on a minute, if you've got something here that you're loving, even almost as equal as God, be careful. You know, idolatry. And yes, it's easy to put things, like Anne said, in, in such excess that we become addic addicted, etc. Now, I don't know where I am at all, but uh, anyway, I'll, I'll come back to some of them in a minute. But what I'm really trying to get at, that love has become distorted. For instance, you have abused wives who, what will they, what will they tell you when you say to them, does your husband love you? They're going to say, yeah, I know he loves me. It, it's just that sometimes, you know, I do this, under the, when actually... Somebody who's been abusive is not loving. And yet, they'll say, oh, yeah, but they do. And so what I'm trying to get at, the world's view of what love is, we then attribute to God. And then we have this idea, right, he's impatient. He'll only be kind while ever I am working on my act to get myself together. And if I'm trying to do it, he will be kind to me. But if I'm not, then just watch out. And then we'll say, he's, it doesn't envy. But then we say, if I have a, a life of my own and there are things that I want to do, we'll say, oh, God's not going to hack that. But this is not the language of love. Well, I don't know where I am, so can I just... Uh, <laughs> um, 
Right. See, the very fact of being jealous and being envious, it means that God is on the receiving mode all the time. Have you ever noticed when a person is jealous, the forever concerned about the effect of something on them? Me, 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 me. Have you ever noticed when, when somebody's a bit insecure and they're, they're wanting to know where you are all the time and they'll say, oh, it, well, it's, you know, it's because they love me. They want to know where I am. No, it's because they're concerned about themselves. And so we can't attribute that to our God. It says it, it, it does not envy. So God does not envy. He's not jealous. He's not selfish. Now, you see, one of my problems, and I'm trying to be open and honest with you, one of my problems was I was brought up to believe that God was in competition for my love all the time, when actually he wasn't at all. It does not boast. Now, you see, this is a good one. Boasting is bragging about the truth. Since when, even if you look at the scriptures of Jesus as the embodiment of God on the earth, where was the one moment of boastfulness or bragging? In fact, he, he kept saying, you know, they kept saying, oh, you're the son of God. And he was going, who said that I am? He didn't draw any attention to himself. He was trying, if anything, to get away from that. Why? Because there was a humbleness, a, a, a gentleness that said, this is not about position. This is not about me wanting to, to, to pull things for, for myself. See, I said a few weeks ago on Wednesday night, and some of you weren't there, so I'll repeat it. God does not get glory by you worshipping his greatness but by us imitating his humility. And that's a wonderful thought. Please write it down and, and keep it somewhere. See, what are the two main things that we tend to do in church? We talk about God's accomplishments and we worship his great power. And I think that's wonderful. But I want to ask the question, is that what he wants? I'm not sure. Because at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, this picture that's been painted uh, about God is somebody who's actually saying, just, I, I'm quite happy not to be seen or even uh, noticed because my love is more for you than it is about you recognizing me. Yeah. Is this making sense? Okay. So love does not boast. In fact, what he did was he emptied himself to become nothing. He says he took on himself the form of a servant and humbled himself even unto death. There's no boasting in that, is there? No boasting in that. He's not proud. We can even get into the idea that God wants us to be perfect people to make him look good. How many times have we said we're proud of our kids when they behave well? makes parents look good. Do you know what? God is not bothered about that because he's proud of you regardless of whether you are well-behaved or, or not well-behaved. And he's going to continue to be patient with any of the behavior. I love the idea that 
we think that somehow God's concerned so much about sin because of what it makes him look like. It's like a, a reputation killer for him when actually he's more concerned because of what he does to us. And he's saying, no, I don't want you involved in some things because of what it's going to do to you. And yet we think, ooh, bring, you know, disrepute upon the church and upon God. You can't. Because when he got himself involved with us, he got himself involved for the duration and he's going to stick and he's going to keep. I think it's amazing. I, I, I put on Twitter the other day, are you craving revelation beyond the humble carpenter when faced with the real Christ on a lowly donkey? Are you disappointed? Because when we talk about what love is, to most people it's more like weakness than it is strength. And if we go back to what we were saying at the beginning, most of the time, and like I said, we have taken the world's idea of love because even things like it keeps no records of wrong, we would say, well, that's very stupid because unless you keep records of wrong, how are you going to protect yourself again from it happening? And how will we, you know, not be taken advantage of? So we even say, what the loving thing does is keep a record so I can protect myself. Can you see how we turn it round? And it makes it so that at the end of the day, most things we've said, oh, well, it doesn't really mean that. It means this, a diluted version. Now, there's one more thing I was going to say, and I'm going to finish because we want to get into the back to do what we're going to do. Um, it says this, love always hopes. I know I haven't covered them all because we can't, but love always hopes. So God is full of hope all of the time for all of us. Isn't that fantastic? Now listen to me. Who's heard of the omnis? Omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent. They are words that have been associated with God to say that he's all-powerful, he's all-knowledge, and he's everywhere, present everywhere. Now, these things are not actually from... Bible really, although there are some verses that sort of suggest that could be the case, but they were created in order to make our God as big as other gods. So if you've got a big God, let me say something about my God that makes him bigger. My God's omnipotent. You know, my God's everywhere. My, do, do you get what I'm saying? But we can really get thrown a, a, a real curveball if, if that if we get in our, idea, in our heads that this is true, because if love always hopes, hope is not required if you know everything. And if you know the beginning and you know the middle and you know the end, what do you need hope for? Think about it. It's, it's, it's not derelict. It's up, up, whatever the word is. It's not required. But it says here that it always hopes. So what that means, don't you go around thinking, oh, I've made such a mess of things. And on that basis, all hope is gone. Because at the end of the day, God's saying, no, hope's there, hope's there, hope's there, hope's there. And you might say, but surely there comes a point where that's going to run out. Oh, 
I don't, I don't think so. His love never fails. He never runs out. He never runs out on me. You say, oh, but surely the, the death will bring us to a place where that'll happen. I'm not even sure about that anymore because as I look at this, God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He is, oh, I love this one. He's not rude. Now, I love that. You know why? Because I think we're living in a very rude society. Somehow, we were brought up to be polite to each other. But nowadays, you can walk in a room and if somebody just doesn't want to lift their head up and say hello, they just won't. Why? Because I have a right not to say hello if I don't want to. When actually, what, what God is saying about himself here is, you will always be somebody that when you walk into a room, I will want to say hello to. I will want to have communion with you. I'll want to to make sure you know that you're visible. Isn't that lovely? He's not rude. I love that. Now, we're not going to cover anymore, but here's the issue. I know there are times that when I look at my damaged life, it's because I have not accepted that this is what God is. I have believed he was impatient with me. I've believed he's constantly angry with me, that he's, he's just at the end of his tether because that's what was sort of offered me instead of saying, do you know what? I've got it all mixed up. I've let people dictate. Now, when we're honest about where we are, it becomes, let me just find, because I need to read this. Um, what honesty demands, and we sang it earlier, is an openness to expose one's faults and weaknesses, which in turn, and listen to this, gives you the opportunity to do this. Judge my actions, assess it according to the level of severity. The level of severity will determine whether you forget it or keep a record of it. And then based on that, you will either withdraw your trust or your belief in me, and then you'll stop protecting me because you'll share my weaknesses and faults with others. Do you get the little picture? But what's amazing, God's never going to do that, ever. Now, again, people say, well, God knows everything, so why do I bother telling him? Why am I honest and open with him? But the truth is, he doesn't know everything. That's why you're free. So he says, come and let's talk about your life. Let's talk about it because I might be able to give you some pointers that'll save you a lot of trouble. But you say, oh, well, surely God knows everything that's going to happen. He only knows what has happened. He only knows what there is to know. That takes some getting your head around some say, Well, surely because he's God, he knows. But then if that's the case, everything's already predetermined and pre-sorted and it's all a big farce, isn't it? And I'm not in this for a farce, all right? I'm in it because I believe that we have a, a God, we have a creator, we have somebody who this that I've read is his, what can I call it? His, his MO, his modus operandi. And I know the, for a fact that there are times when I do not operate in that. But I also know that if I were to, that would be how my healing would come. Because it's in that 
in coming to an understanding of how God is, we measure ourselves by him rather than measuring ourselves by other people. Because isn't it true, when we are feeling as though we are being devalued in ourselves, the first thing that we want to do is defend or the first thing we want to do is be impatient, or we want to not be kind, or we want to keep record. Is, is this making sense? So, I'm going to leave it there, because I said we would be, be finished, but what I would like for us all to do is at least be honest with ourselves about what and who we believe God to be. Our understanding of God will determine what sort of human beings we are, and I've said that before. And if we want to be like this with each other, then we have to understand that that's what God is like with us. And I know for many years I didn't get this, and it was very hurtful, but I know that I need to be healed. Is there anybody here who would actually be honest and say, yeah, there's some stuff, like what Beth was saying about you know, the, the things that we inherit the experiences that we've had that left scars on our lives are the people who want to stand and say, yes, I need to be healed. I'm being honest, I need a healing. There are times that I, I, I think, well, I, I even hate to think about a period of my life. And then, of course, that makes me very envious of people who have not had that experience and then it makes me very cross and angry at those who haven't had to pay the price that I've had to, to pay you know, you know what I'm saying and it becomes a, a vicious circle and it's absolutely horrible now you might say I haven't a clue what you're talking about your life and you're not meant to but I want you to be honest about where you are and say what is it that there has been a wound because I've not got God right in his image in my life. So if anybody would like to respond to that, you can. I'm just going to ask if somebody would come and pray for me. Actually come and stand with me in, in, a, in a belief that a healing is going to come because I know that I need wounds to, to, to be fixed. And if anybody wants to just come and stand with us, we maybe can just hold hands together and, and, and we'll get hands just to pray over us. But this is an opportunity. Don't pretend to, you, to be something that you're not. We just sung it, didn't we? Because healing comes when we're willing to own it, to talk about it, and we open it up to, to the God who is this sort of love. This sort of love. So if anybody wants to do that, that's fine. But maybe Zanth can just pray for me. He knows that I've mentioned um, to him. Lovely. We, we, come on up on the stage. Yeah, come on on the stage. On the stage. Lovely, look at this. This is great. Anth, will you come in? Come on, let's all stand together up here. Come on. It's, it's, it's good for you because... All right. Yeah, girls are usually much more honest. Um, 
Any, anything buried in our lives that we haven't dealt with will always come back to the surface. And um, some people have lost marriages and then moved away from that marriage and will face exactly the same problem again because circumstances will always bring to the surface that which was only buried and never removed. Do you understand what I'm saying? And there's a verse in the Bible that says you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, that's why I say when the Bible addresses terminology, you think, oh, I don't get that, you know, you've got to be really scared. It's actually a, a Hebrew picture of, you know, that the, the ground moves all the time. Farmers know this the best. And so rocks that are under the surface get worked to the surface because of the natural movement of the earth. So when it says that we're to work out the salvation, that means to change our lives. It means because the very movement of our lives will always bring back to the surface anything that was buried and not removed. Now, now what God wanted to happen in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit was for things that come to the surface to be removed, not just buried again. But what society tells us to do is, oh, hide it. Don't, it will embarrass you. You'll be ashamed. And, and embarrassment and shame makes us push it back under the surface again. And of course, invariably, what happens is, it, with the movement of life, it comes back. And those things do destroy us unless we deal with them. So I appreciate the honesty. The honesty is really the key to the resolution because the honesty says these things are on the surface right now. I see them. Even if the message tonight has brought them to the surface, what we ask is for a miracle that by the grace of God, those things will get taken off our lives. Now, now if we're secretly built little anchor points underneath that says, I kind of want to acknowledge it, but I don't want to get rid of it, then it won't go. Because for many of us, our, our identity is in our pain. Do you understand that? So if we let go of our pain, we let go of our identity. So if we want people to, to feel a certain way about us, and the only way we get them to feel that is by showing them this pain, then we won't let go of the pain. So we build, do you understand? We build these anchors inside. So what you need to do is let it go and, and trust God. God, is, you are an amazing person, Right? God trusts in you. God hopes in you, right? He believes in you. If you let it go, you'll find there is a person there that you've yet to meet. That's the real you God put inside of you. We have to let it go, and this is the healing. So I'm going to pray right now for, for all of you. So don't hang on to what it is. Let it go. Father, in Jesus' name, right now, as these things that have been troublesome in our lives, and these things that have... have um, uh, come to us because of experiences and difficulties that we've now carried through that have shaped us. In the name of Jesus, we commit to let them go. By faith, we release them into your capable hands so that you can remove those things from our lives in Jesus' name and by your spirit, replace that hurt with, with, with belonging and kindness and acceptance and love that doesn't come from our environment that actually comes from you, from outside ourselves, a love that is bigger and greater and stronger so that our trust will be in you. I pray for healing right now, Father, for every person who is here right now has acknowledged these wounds in Jesus' name, pouring oil and wine, Pour in your goodness, pour in your kindness. Bring some healing and some wholeness to that tonight, I pray. 
by the power of your spirit. Because we know this can't happen naturally. Let it happen by your spirit. I release it now. I release it in Jesus' name. And call those who are here to release it as well. To release it to you. Release that to God right now. Release that pain. Release that disappointment. Release that frustration. Release that offense. Release that anger to God. Just let it go right now. And let him take it away. Bible uses terms like, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he takes it from us. It puts it behind his back not to be remembered. In other words, if you release it, God takes it. Because he cares for you. It means that he takes your cares and does the caring for you, which means he puts it out of the way. Just receive it right now. Let wholeness and healing come. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We receive it right now, Father. Receive it in Jesus' name. All right, we're walking that healing, walking that strength, okay? Walk in the power of that. You know, it's interesting, just say this in closing, the, 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 the two chapters around that, chapter 12, chapter 14, of what Chris read. Uh, remember I told you that there was a mischief, that there's mischief gone on because people change things in the, what they wanted them to be. You'll read in both first verse of chapter 12 and first verse of chapter 14 that about spiritual gifts I don't want you to be ignorant the word gifts is not there okay it's not there it was never there so if you look at it now it says about spiritual I don't want you to be to be ignorant I don't want you to be confused and I said why is that important because when we put in the word gifts we latch on to things right rather than a state, rather than a being, rather than something that we can consciously receive. And then it becomes about, did I receive the gift or did I do the gift? Now, there are mention of some things in there which are gifts, but the context of it is that God wants us to be open to understand that there is a dimension of spirit that is there to help us beyond our natural ability. And that's what we've released tonight. That's what God is helping you with. It's by the power of his spirit, not by the quality of your gift or by the ability of your efforts, but by the power of his spirit. We have got to learn again to release ourselves to a power outside ourselves, which is the power of the spirit of God, because that's where transformation absolutely comes. So we bless you. Thanks, Chris, and thank you for being here. And of course, if you've got any questions, we're all around, hanging around here. Uh, otherwise, enjoy the rest of the evening and we'll see you again Wednesday or Saturday. All right, we're done. Thanks. <laughs>